This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This week, we mark National Family Caregiver Day, a day to honor the nearly 8 million Canadians across the country who must juggle their work responsibilities and other commitments at home with caregiving duties. It's a hard life, and today, Dr. Joshua Tepper, CEO of Health Quality Ontario, will tell us why we all have to help make it easier. One reason we have so many caregivers is that people are living longer than ever. In fact, centenarians are the second fastest growing demographic. Geriatrician Dr. Paula Rochon has spent a lot of time studying people over the age of 100. And coming up, she'll share her observations with us. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The governing Liberals in Ottawa won't be taking a permissive approach to medically-assisted dying in the long-awaited new legislation soon to be released. A Canadian press report says the legislation will not include some of the most controversial recommendations made by members of a special parliamentary committee. It's expected that it will not allow people diagnosed with competence-impairing conditions like dementia to make advance requests for medical help to die, which committee members advocated, nor will it include doctor-assisted dying for mature minors. A new study out of America highlights the longevity gap between the poor and the rich. The study shows that Americans who are dependent on Social Security in retirement are dying earlier. Research prepared by the U.S. Government Accountability Office shows that those who are making less than $20,000 a year in retirement are projected to die as many as 13 years earlier than their wealthier peers. The study suggests other factors may come into play, such as smoking rates and health care coverage. What do you do to celebrate your 104th birthday. How about getting a little ink done? Jack Reynolds of Chesterfield, England, decided that after going 103 years without a tattoo, he'd get his first for his 104th birthday. It's simply his nickname, Jacko, and the date of his birth, April 6, 1912. The new tattoo makes Jack Reynolds a Guinness World Record holder. He is now officially the oldest person to get a first tattoo. When asked how it felt, Reynolds said, I'd rather be doing this than getting a haircut. It appears having a broken heart isn't just something that affects your emotions. It can also literally lead to heart complications. A study done by researchers in Denmark found that people who lost a partner, especially if the death was unexpected, were at an increased risk of developing an irregular heartbeat up to a year after the death. The study also suggests people whose spouse died were 41% more likely to develop atrial fibrillation 
in the first month after the loss. However, the research shows the increased risk doesn't last beyond the one-year mark. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I've been a caregiver for my mother for the last 14 years. Two points. One, all your well-educated, uh, wonderful friends telling you what to do. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> the other is when somebody says to you, can I help you, give them a job right away. Don't let them finish the sentence. That certainly sounds familiar to the 8 million Canadians who are taking care of loved ones or friends in addition to whatever else they're doing. Most of us consider this the labor of love, but the fact is our health care system could be crushed without all this unpaid work. This week on National Family Caregiver Day, Health Quality Ontario released a sobering study. It shows that caregivers are burning out twice as often as they used to. I talked with Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and CEO of Health Quality Ontario. We did a large provincial report about the healthcare system as a whole a few months ago, and one of the data points that leapt out at us was this incredible increase in caregiver distress and burnout over just a few years. So we decided to do a, a deeper look into this area. So if you look just at people who simply say they've reached that sort of ultimate stage of saying they cannot continue, so like really right at the very end of the spectrum, that's gone from about seven to 14. And again, these are people who are highly motivated. If you then include people who haven't reached that last stage, but are at points of depression or feeling very frustrated, feeling very angry, a larger group of people as a whole, what you actually see is a group that's gone from about 15 or 16 percent up to a third. You know, it's a, that's a lot of people. Do you know how many that is? Nationally, 8 million Canadians are unpaid caregivers. And then you think about a third of those. If we were to extrapolate out this Ontario data, that is, that is a huge number of people. It really is just one of the, the most important hidden parts of our health care system when you think about it. Explain how that happens. I mean, obviously, 8 million people taking care of friends and loved ones takes pressure off the system. These are absolutely critical roles that people play. And in some cases, they can be very short-term roles. Maybe somebody has a surgery and for three to five weeks, they need some help. But in our study, what we looked at is actually people who tended to need long-term help, typically older people who are receiving home care. And that was one of our key findings is that, in fact, the population that caregivers are looking after is increasingly older and is very rapidly getting increasingly unwell, both in terms of their mental facilities as well as their physical facilities. And so at the same time that you have more people needing caregivers, they're also uh, having a higher degree of, of sort of need. So more people needing more care. When you talk about caregiver distress, you mean anger, depression, what else? Or just an ability sort of feeling like they just can't continue. Uh, just feeling that perhaps very upset, as you said, angry or depressed, or simply just sort of saying, I can't continue the role I'm playing. It seems fairly obvious that getting, you know, I had a caller on my call-in show, and she was saying, you know, if I only just had another four hours, I get four hours of respite care from uh, community care, but in that time I have to do everything from figuring out financial stuff, taking care of the car, taking care of the house, buying groceries. So 
how could we let it get to the point where you have to admit somebody at great cost because there isn't another few hours available? So I think one thing we need to realize is that the, the solution is going to vary case by case. You know, in some cases, I have people who are, you know, in their late 80s looking after people who are in their early 90s. And so here it's just a matter of physical capacity, whether you're rural or urban, what the language needs are, what the cultural needs are, who the caregiver is and what, they're, what is driving their own distress. They're all going to be different. And having a, a range of solutions is going to be critical. And certainly in some cases, additional hours of care or additional hours of certain types of care may be part of that answer. But in other cases, there may be other issues at play. One of the things, though, I do think we need to do is talk to caregivers more frequently, involve them in the care decisions uh, making process, and really take the time to understand them and what their needs are, in addition, of course, and as a priority, caring for the patients. Uh, you were also talking in the recommendations in your report about training them better, giving them more help in understanding what they have to do. Absolutely. We're asking people whether it's around dressing changes or medication management or even just basic things like diet. Like in any profession, any job, any role, you want to be good at it and you can only be good at it if somebody helps you prepare. And so I think having very clear conversations, not just with the patient, but with the caregivers about you know, what to expect what are the different medications? What are the side effects to watch for? What are special dietary needs related to the medication or to the illness that they might want to be aware of? So who will be giving that help? I think, again, it will depend, but I suspect all healthcare providers in the system will have a role to play. It will be you know, nurses, personal support workers, physicians, therapists, all the people who are involved in the circle of care around a patient, all the people who are involved in developing the care plan and providing the care should also have a sense of duty not only to the patient, but taking that extra few minutes to be inclusive of the caregiving team and answering their questions, understanding their concerns or uncertainty. Thank you so much, Dr. Tepper. Thanks for your interest. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with Joshua Tepper, CEO of Health Quality Ontario. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and return with a look at what it takes to live to and beyond 100. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. What is the secret to living to 100? Is there a secret to this milestone? Centenarians are the second fastest growing demographic after 60 to 64-year-olds. There were nearly 7,000 of them in 2013. What do they have in common? Geriatrician Dr. Paula Rochon followed 2,000 Ontario centenarians, and she dropped by our studio to tell us what she found. A lot of the work that's been done on centenarians so far has been studies of small groups of centenarians or people who have lived long lives. But what we were able to do, which was different, was we could look at every single person who was a centenarian in Ontario at a given point in time. So we identified almost 2,000 people over the age of 100, which was um, really quite amazing. Interestingly, we also found that you know, in the in the prior 15 years, there had been about a 70% increase in the number of centenarians. So the numbers are really growing. So 
the increase here in Ontario is more than the increase in the country as a whole for some reason. Well, there's a lot happening in Ontario, and I think in Canada as well, and I think it's something we're seeing around the world. Um, but in Ontario, with these 2,000 people, about 85% are women. We had people over the age of 105 and, and even over the age of 110. And we, when we got into the older age groups, more than 90% were women in those age groups. Now, interestingly, we were interested in the way they used health and health services. Um, this group, about half of them were living in the community, and a lot of them were not receiving any kind of formal supports as far as we could tell, uh, which was really interesting. And we also were able to tell uh, what kind of care they were getting in the prior year. The vast majority, 95%, were getting their care from primary care physicians only about 5% were seeing a geriatrician. So I guess, you know, myself as a geriatrician, I would have thought that, you know, if you're over 100, you, you know, maybe you want to see a geriatrician. They're probably not even aware. Well, maybe that's the case. But it also does speak to a bit of a mismatch between uh, the availability of specialists in geriatric medicine uh, and the potential need that's out there in the population. Uh, right now, you know, there's relatively few geriatricians uh, relative to the population. Back to the gender imbalance. I think you were saying that there are very few men who reach that age, but the ones who do are super healthy. Well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, we, we sort of expect because women um, live longer that they're healthier and in some ways they are. I mean, they tend to have more chronic conditions than men. But I think there's sort of an interesting twist to that, that when you get into that very old age group, uh, and so you're over 100 and you're a man, you may in fact look a bit healthier than women. Perhaps it's because, you know, unlike other men who have not lived to that age, these people that do live longer really are exceptional. They're different. And why do women live longer than men? So that's, again, another, uh, another big question that people don't entirely have the answer for. But it's something that's not unique to Ontario. It's not unique to Canada. It's something that we see all around the world. Women get chronic medical conditions, whereas men tend to get things that tend to be a little bit more what they call mortal conditions. And other things people talk about uh, are, you know, issues around socialization, as an example. Whenever we talk about centenarians, everybody wants to know what's the secret. So from this research, are you able to tease out any secrets or just anything that these people with long lives have in common? Well, I think it's interesting that uh, these people that are centenarians look often relatively healthy. So, you know, relative to people that might be somewhat younger to them than them, they may, for example, appear to have fewer chronic conditions. They may seem to be on fewer medications, as an example. Um, so these are people that are very healthy or relatively healthy for, for that age group. So they're, they're really quite exceptional. So the question is, how and why did they get there? And um, people all around the world are interested in looking at this. People have looked at um, parts of the world that they call blue zones, where people live to exceptional age, and tried to identify what are some of the factors associated with it. So they talk about um, it's important to stay active. And at being active and um, exercising and being strong is good for you. They talk about eating a healthy diet and being lean. 
So it's having foods that tend to be less processed and uh, to managing your weight. And it's probably that also relates to the idea that a lot of people who've lived long lives have always been active, whether it's been living in hilly towns where you're walking up and down on a regular basis or just getting outside and always moving around. People who live long tend to uh, have socialized. They're engaged, uh, they're out, uh, they're active in their communities, and that seems to be uh, really important. Anything that you found that surprised you? I think maybe what surprises me is a lot of these things are maybe common sense. What attitude did the people you studied have towards aging? So we were using administrative data, so we couldn't ask those really important questions. Uh, But often they're characterized by they have a real passion for life, and they're always interested in new things, Um, very young in the way they behave, always willing to take on new challenges. Uh, I think that's really special, and I think that's really important. Anything else as we're trying to find the secrets? Well, I think it's something that we're all striving for, and many, many more people are now reaching those older age groups, and they're living longer. And actually, the vast majority of that group is really very healthy and living in the community, and they want to continue that way. So I think our job is how do we help all of us find a way to live long and healthy lives. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, we lost an iconic voice in country music. Merle Haggard passed away at the age of 79. In just a moment, we'll return with some of his music. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. A new production of Arthur Miller's classic play, The Crucible, has opened on Broadway. The Crucible is about the Salem witch trials in the 17th century. It's winning rave reviews at the Walter Kerr Theater on West 48th Street. The San Diego Museum of Art is exhibiting some of the finest still life and landscape paintings from leading Dutch, Flemish, Italian, Spanish, and German artists of the 17th and 18th centuries. The exhibition features 40 works never displayed publicly before. Sunset Boulevard, the hottest show in London right now with Glenn Close making her West End debut as Norma Desmond, the role for which she won a Tony on Broadway in 1997. Sunset Boulevard is on stage at the London Coliseum until May. And in Amsterdam, the Modern Contemporary Museum has opened with an exhibition that combines works by pop art star Andy Warhol and street art legend Banksy, with more than 80 works on display. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, we lost Merle Haggard, the Country Music Hall of Famer. He was one of the original bad boys of country music. Unlike his good friend Johnny Cash, who manufactured a prison life image, Haggard actually served time at the infamous San Quentin State Prison. He was there for nearly three years for burglary, spending his 21st birthday in solitary confinement. However, he turned his life around and became one of country music's most successful singers. 
Haggard recorded for over 40 years with 38 of his singles, including Working Man Blues, topping the Billboard country chart from 1966 to 1987. He had 71 top 10 hits in all 34 in a row from 1967 to 1977. Seven of his singles crossed over to the pop charts. Right now, we'll hear one of those from the year 1969. Here is... Okie from Muskogee. We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. That was Merle Haggard with Okie from Muskogee. Haggard passed away this week at the age of 79. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.